Hi, this is Bianca. And this is Anna. Your hosts of Girl Talk Monday's podcast, where we discuss the world of fashion, self-confidence, and everything in between. In this new series, we interview inspiring women making a mark in their fields. Whether that be business leaders, CEOs, marketeers, or entrepreneurs, we want to share their success stories with you. So welcome to Girl Talk Mondays. Mondays. In this week's episode, we're joined by guest Daisy Natchbull, founder of The Deck, a London-based tailoring house for women. Previously communications director for The Huntsman on Savile Row, Daisy has been influenced by the empowering nature of a tailored suit and was the first woman to break barriers and wear a bespoke suit to the Royal Ascot in 2016. Shortly after, Daisy launched The Deck to take her vision even further. Fashion is an expression of style. It showcases your taste, but also helps to define who you are as a person. What you wear is how you present yourself to the world. Tune in as we talk about her journey, the process of creating a bespoke suit, power dressing, and self-confidence. Well, thank you for, for having me on the, I mean, especially for small businesses. Thank you so much. We're excited to have the conversation with lucky. you. Can you tell us a bit about your background? What made you decide to go into tailoring in the first place? You were previously communications director for the famous Huntsman on Seville Row, and then before launching your own bespoke women's suiting label, The Deck Now. So yeah, so I I always had an interest in fashion from a young age and um, worked um, as assisting the fashion director at Sunday Time Star, that was my kind of first real job, and then after kind of interning my my whole life, and I'd always wanted to kind of do something within fashion and change it somehow, and I never really knew how to do that, and I couldn't seem to find a way because the women's wear market just seemed so oversaturated with loads of people doing lots of cool ideas. So um, I decided the job came up to to go and work at Huntsman, and I thought it'd be a really cool idea to kind of understand men's fashion literally from the stitch up and although I wasn't doing it to be immersed in it and understand it and particularly Savile Row which is somewhere you know as a young woman I'd never ever thought to venture up to and and um so I was there for four years and it was an incredibly rewarding experience Savile Row is an amazing place you know incredible craftsmen and and women and um and I learned a lot but what I realized was there was, you know, everyone was making for men and not that many people were making for women, let alone solely for women. And so in 2016, I was the first woman to wear a top hat and tails at Royal Ascot. So we broke the rules and, and went into the Royal Enclosure. And it was the reception of the people, the women there, who were kind of clapping me in and going, I love it, I want to do it, where do I go for my tailoring? And feeling slightly intimidated by Savile Row, feeling there was nowhere they could go and really I guess be understood as a woman and it was one of those things that you hear on podcasts all the time of timing but really that kind of rise of female empowerment in the background and it never being about a time to be a woman you know mixed with this want for suiting but not it to come back as a trend but as an essential wardrobe staple for every woman and not necessarily just as a suit but having kind of investment pieces beautifully tailored investment pieces so I was very lucky with the timing and a lot of people thought I was crazy and I'm not a tailor myself but you know I understood I guess I'd watched for four years how a tailoring business worked and I decided to go out and I had a hundred coffees in three months with various different people asking them exactly what went wrong what went right what they want you know what they need what their 
where they feel they've been let down. And that was really how the business was born. And then, you know, hiring basically, you know, praying and going for it. And, and we were very lucky. That's amazing. So, you know, being in the fashion industry and loving fashion, we all kind of feel like fashion is a big part of our identity. And it kind of a bit shapes, you know, who we feel we are towards other people. Um, so we were wondering how you feel about empowering women to power dress. And, you know, why did you choose to do that and to express that outward? The, the reason I started this is I wanted every woman to feel that empowering nature of a suit made to your own kind of unique silhouette. There's nothing that quite beats that feeling. And I used to, you know, I was very lucky when I was at Huntsman, I was able to experience that feeling, which a lot of people, you know, I had very early on. And it almost felt like you could put your feet up on a table if you were in a board meeting or something, you know, really, no matter how you felt on the inside, the outward projection that, that the suit gave you, it, it's the most fantastic feeling. And so for us, we want to be able to give that experience to every woman. And, you know, as women, we're very critical of our bodies and we're very, we can be so negative and actually to be understood by a woman and have that kind of empathetic understanding and also the emotional relationship that we have with clothing is, is key to our business and I have women that, that kind of burst into tears when they see themselves for the first time in a suit where we enhance all the things they love about their body and maybe disguise things that they're less confident about but I think it's you know a suit is, a, is an amazingly powerful statement in itself and I don't think that's because it was a man's kind of look originally I don't I don't believe that's why I just think it's something where you show you're kind of the most covered up. Yeah, it's 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 so understated and elegant and sexy. And, and I love the combination of how that can be when you're completely kind of covered from head to toe. But also I think it, it, it represents so much more. And I think that's the important thing, the power and strength and empowerment of women. And, and that's what I love. I love a woman in a suit. I think it is really sexy, like you said. It's empowering. It's sophisticated. Um, you look like you're ready to take on the world. And I've always been a fan of like dressing in suits as well, as much as I love flowy, feminine things too. So I think having like the diversity, but the, also the ability to feel confident in a suit, because I don't know if many women, you know, from your experience, maybe women coming into the store, have they ever worn a suit before how do they feel about it and maybe like take us through more of your inspiration behind the deck because it came from a need for women to want to wear suits as well and for you being the first one to wear one at the Royal Ascot so what was like your inspiration are there any women in particular who have inspired you along the way I think yes I mean there are loads of amazing women through time that just have been my constant inspirations for this you know pioneers of the trousers the suit for people like Lauren Harton but also incredibly stylish women you know that I think are incredibly stylish like Princess Diana or Diane von Furstenberg or Catherine Hepburn um I think there's also been a lot of amazing women mentors and on my journey that I wouldn't have been able to do this without and men but you know women who, who I can talk to who 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 I can really engage and have an honest conversation about where they feel they've been let down by the current market and where they'd like to go. And so a lot of my clients, they might have already owned a suit. And that's one of the first things we ask them, you know, do you own a suit? And if you do, why don't you wear it as much? What don't you like about it? Because we really want to ensure the longevity of this suit. And we want to ensure it's something that they can roll out of bed 
and they know, you know, I've got something that fits me like a glove and I can power mm-hmm. it up, I can power it down, I can wear it as separate. So that's really key for me. Um, but no, the inspiration behind the deck is, is it's called the deck as there are four suits and a deck of cards. So we start with four styles, jacket and trouser. And from there, the client can choose any styling details, their own bespoke, their cloth, lining, buttons, monogramming, you know, secret embroideries inside, everything about the, the, the jacket and trousers. And um, so that was really why we originally we called it the deck, but also because it's about a reshuffling of the way we think about tailoring. So rather than it being a very male-centric kind of sphere, it's time that we kind of balance that out and gave women the same opportunities in the kind of tailoring world as men have had for centuries. So offer a place where they can come and it's exclusively for women. And like I said, you know, we be, be served by a woman and you know the tailor our head tailor's a woman and, and that whole experience just that kind of very feminine empathetic outlet that women can come and that was really what we wanted every suit had a little ace of spades stitched into the cuff which is our kind of signifier to remind women they have an ace up their sleeve so we played around a bit with the words of the deck Oh, I love that. The concept is so, like, down to a T. You've gotten it all according to, like, the details. And I think that's what makes a brand truly unique. So I love that it is all bespoke and you can choose what you want and style it how you want. Yeah, and it also makes it more sustainable, which is amazing. I read that section on your website and I find it incredible. And I wish every brand could do it. Of course, it's not possible for every brand, but yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of people don't really understand what we do because women have never had the opportunity to do buy off the peg and you just have, you know, the cuffs and the, of the, the jacket taken up or taken down when actually, you know, for us, it's helping women realize like you can really design this, you know, regardless of season, regardless of trend. If you want to buy velvet in, you know, 30 degree summer or if you want to buy linen in the depths of the English winter, you can do that. And, and it's about creating clothes that you love because clothes you love last longer, right? And we, you know, paying paying our tailors a fair wage and a good wage and working only with the best British cloth merchants and working only with the best craftsmen and artisans to keep these kind of techniques and traditions alive. You know, that comes at a price as such. We're not, of course, you know, we're, we're a luxury brand. Our suits aren't, you know, affordable to everyone and we respect that. But it's about helping educate women to invest in in good things and move towards a more conscious consumer fashion and that maybe you buy 50 items from Zara or you could invest in one suit but that one suit is going to last you you could pass down to your children or friends or and you could pair in a number of different ways about thinking I guess about the cost per wear of garments and just really like you you know you were saying just getting into the psyche of being a, a conscious consumer yeah so important nowadays um could you maybe talk us through the design process from beginning to the end of the creation of a bespoke suit yeah so a client comes in they either walk in and it's all by appointment only usually but we do we've just opened a little shop on lower stone street in chelsea in london which is yeah, very exciting I saw. and then they come in for their appointment with our head tailor and myself and there we have blocks of our four different suits the four different jackets and trousers and they can try on different stuff so they can see the kind of style of what we do our silhouette is very unique we like to say it's classical elegance meets modern femininity so you know a strong shoulder a beautiful knit and waist it's highlighting the kind of beautiful feminine features um 
also, you know, keeping it sharp and keeping the tailoring kind of strong. Yeah. And um, so they'll try on the various blocks, as we call them, of trousers and jackets. And at that point, they then are fitted by our head tailor. But not to adjust any of what they're trying on, we, we create a brand new garment for them. But it's how we take our measurements that we then translate to all of our tailors. So the many different things that need to change, you know, our, our tailor takes over 30 measurements of, of our client. And then at that point, they can start to see you know, what that might look like on them, pinned in, changed, all of that. And they can decide every aspect of that, whether they want a peak or a notch lapel, whether they want silk facings on the front of the, the lapels, whether they want a silk stripe down the leg of the trouser. Um, and then it comes to choosing the cloth. So we work with the Savile Row cloth merchants. So some of the most beautiful cloths from velvet to corduroy to you know, you name it, we have it. And it's really understanding, again, this is a part of the longevity and, and it's really understanding what exactly the client wants it for, where, you know, do you travel a lot? Do you want something that takes you from day to night? Do you, you know, do you, are you conscious of certain things? Do you sweat a lot? Do you, you know, all the things you want to understand to ensure that we can get them something that, that really they will have no qualms with and they know they can throw it on. So we go through the cloth, we go through the lining, we go through the buttons, all of that process with them, which is the fun part, but it's difficult when you've got so much choice. So they're guided by us and what we know and the way cloth moves and hangs and drapes, as we'd say. And then that's all done and they go away and four weeks later they come back to our atelier or we can see them actually within their homes or offices. And then they'll see the it's called a base fitting, so it's where it has lots of white stitching all over it, and it's in there. Taylor will take more measurements and tweak it and adjust it more, and then five weeks later, we do that final fitting. Well, actually, four, four to five weeks, which um, is usually when it's it's almost done. It's those final tweaks on hems and cuffs that they might need. So the process takes ten weeks over three fittings. Yeah, oh, it wow. is quite long, but you come out of it and you have something that fits you like a glove. And I always find that when I buy pieces anyway if I invest in like something nice nice dress a jacket I'm always going to bring it to a tailor so that it fits perfectly so I think that's an amazing highlight because there's no exactly. point of wearing a suit or a beautiful jacket if it doesn't fit you like a glove would you say that you have more classic pieces or would it be like focused on or influenced by a trend sometimes from a starting point, we're trendless and seasonless, and it's really up to the client. You know, the only limitation really is their imagination. So if they want something, you know, we see a lot, particularly kind of in our younger clients. I mean, we have clients from 18 to 90, really. You know, it's totally ageless, our, our brand. But, you know, often you'll see we offer a block called The Boyfriend, which is more of that kind of trend-led slightly oversized style tailoring in the jacket it's a four button double breasted that's meant to be worn slightly oversized so that they can do that or they can take that same jacket and choose to nip it in sharply at the waist or lift the height of the jacket or you know make it a cropped arm it really is totally up to the client so we have some amazing kind of really out there orange velvet or you know we have purple velvet with diamonds as the buttons and in that same you know breath we have women that just want something that's super understated for work and this classical elegance you know maybe a gray flannel or just a really subtle pinstripe or it really depends every and I love that about what I do is every day we go in and meet our new clients and they 
you know, it's a way for them to express their identity and, and, and their personality and, and it's an extension of them and have fun with it, you know, and that's what I love about this. It's no day, um, no client is the same. We've never had exactly the same order ever. Let's go back for a little bit to female empowerment. From working in the tailoring industry, which is predominantly male-dominated, um, have you ever had a moment in your life when you felt disempowered? I think... I've been very lucky, and I think as much as Savile Row is a very male-dominated um, industry and sphere, I personally never felt that it. I was negatively or looked at differently or felt disadvantaged by being a woman. Now, that's not to say that doesn't happen, because for a lot of female tailors on Savile Row, things were tough for them until quite recently, you know, and jobs weren't available to them in the way they were with men, and traditionally tailors were men so you know it's not to say it's not there but I've been very lucky but I think from a business point of view you know I know that one percent of VC funding goes to female founded businesses that's still happening today and that's something that is shocking to me and needs to change you know whether I'm taken less seriously because I'm a woman I haven't necessarily felt it Who's to say that people aren't thinking it? I don't know. But I certainly think that I've been very lucky in so far in feeling, you know, not disempowered at all. But no, I feel I, I feel very lucky. But, you know, it, not to say it doesn't happen behind my back or it might happen in the future. Who knows, right? It's better for us not to know it sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. So how did you find it transitioning from working for a very, you know, successful company that had been around for a long time? I think it was 1849, around that time that the company was founded. How was it to become your own boss after working there? Terrifying, especially. Yeah. I'm, I'm 27 years old, so <laughs> to be your own boss that young is not something everyone gets to say. It's a luxury, and it's also terrifying. It's lonely particularly about you know not having a co-founder that's something that I thought about for a very long time and decided to do on my own but there are times you know when you don't have or yes you know we we, we had a, this success today and not having anyone as a sounding board who knows and is invested just as much as you in the business so for me surrounding myself with an amazing network of investors which I have I have an amazing actor sounding boards has been hugely important. But, you know, a brand like Huntsman is fantastic. I mean, they're, you know, the bastion of, of men's tailoring on Savile Row. And so, again, that was slightly intimidating because I'd come from being, you know, working at a brand that was the kind of very top to then trying to start something from scratch. But what the flip side of also all of this, I talk about it being scary and all of that, is it's the most rewarding thing you will ever do in your life. And I have loved every second of it. And the highs are super high and the lows are super low. But to create a new legacy and do something that people aren't doing and try and change the world in your own small way and change women's lives and make them better and make them feel better about themselves. I mean, that's the most rewarding thing I can ever ask for. So as much as we aren't, you know, over 170 years old, you know, this is the start of what I hope to be an incredible legacy that we and, you know, we're, we're starting small, but I hope eventually to be global, you know. We've got some exciting things coming up in the pipeline to be able to kind of serve people outside of the UK. So you launched in 2018, if I'm correct? We incorporated in 2018, and then I still was building business off the scene. We launched in 
um, May 2019. So we've done, literally our year anniversary was spent in lockdown, which is very sad. But we started with a bank. We had a launch party for 450 people, which was the most touching and amazing moment of my life. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing to have had such good support as well for your business. Um, But maybe you can tell us about the leadership aspect of running your own business and having a team and finding good people. What does leadership mean to you? I'm learning every day, right? (laughs) As you said, when you're not, when you're, when you go from, you know, working within a company to suddenly becoming your own boss and being a leader, that's something that I've had to learn and I learn every day. But I know what I enjoyed and what I benefited from and what I motivated me when I was an employee of someone else. And I try and kind of enact that within my business and make sure that my employees are consistently feeling motivated and believing in the vision and and feeling part of the vision. And that's why, you know, it's never my business, it's our business and it's, you know, working, we... They, I, I remind them every day that without them, we'd be nothing, you know, and every little success is down to my incredible team and the collaborative efforts. And, you know, especially being a, a founder without, without, a, especially being without a co-founder, having a strong team is even more important. And we, and I, you know, I really see them as, as the backbone of business. That's what they are. So I knew when I first started this, that hiring a good team was the advice I've been told over and over. It's crucial. You know, you have to hire. And you've got to get it right. And I've never, I've never interviewed anyone or hired anyone in my life. And you know, I'm, I'm really just you believe everything that kind of everyone says, and you want to hire everyone. But then you really start to see the people that shine through. And so for me, the hiring process was a long one, but one to ensure that we found the, the right people. And another important kind of bit of bit of advice I was given was delegation is key. You know, know where you're weak, especially as a kind of boss and as a leader. Don't micromanage, you know, and and let go and let the people that know what they're doing, where you're weak, do their job. And and I think that's a piece of advice that's always stayed with me. And I think that ensures, you know, transparency and trust and and keeps the morale high when you you know you've hired great people that do the job and you trust them and you believe in them to, to do it. And so I'm very lucky. I've got a really wonderful team of people that work for me. I hope that answers the question. Yes, amazing. Yeah, it's great when you're able to identify that. And like you said, anyway, being an entrepreneur, having your own business, especially at such a young age, it's all about learning and, you know, seeing what works, making mistakes and going past them and learning from them. But it's been amazing to see how how good your business is doing. And maybe you can explain, like, how did you initially get it off the ground? Because you've been working before as a communications director so I would guess that like PR marketing communications um, was quite an important part of your job in terms of the image of the huntsman so maybe how did you incorporate what you did in your career to understanding how to build your own brand in the public eye um, I think certainly you know what I've learned from huntsman and which I can apply to my business is communication and understanding and kind of education of the process is, is vital to, to, to helping people understand exactly what we do you know like I said for women this isn't a, a normal instance or something that's very readily available so it was it still is key for me to there are so many women that want what we do and don't know we exist so really I rely most importantly on word of mouth producing a beautiful product you know that that 
that make women feel so good about themselves that they want to spread the word. And that's what's been so lovely about this is watching women, you know, go out there and, and, and the amount of clients we have that go, oh my gosh, my friend was at a party or I bumped into her or she was raving about you guys and I want to get on board. And, and so word of mouth for us is really a strong form of marketing because nothing beats a good recommendation. True. But you know, it's not. It's much easier said than done because you have to deliver something that is 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 beautiful and is exactly to what people want to ensure that. But also, you know, the press have been incredibly supportive, and I think they recognise that we're doing something different. I think it helps to have a very unique kind of business proposition, and social media. You know, having a really strong presence that's an, that's an extension of of our business. You know. People nowadays, and I think particularly post-corona and the landscape that we're about to enter into, I think the product has to be A+, plus and, and that's a given. But I think people look beyond that. And actually, it's not only about the experience around the, the product and who that kind of person is and where they might go and what they do, which is what we kind of develop over the social media, the lifestyle of a deaf woman, but also the ethos behind that kind of underpins the business, right, which we have very strongly and the mission to empower as many women. And I think particularly for now, and, and like I said, post-coronavirus, people are going to be looking to brands that where their belief systems are very clear and support and are moving in a direction that we need to go. So from the very beginning, having clear values was key to us, you know, values of sustainability, of longevity, of empowerment, of, you know, just making the world a better place. And I think more and more people are going to look that way. And we've been very lucky that we've been kind of advocating that message from the start of our business. I know we're only a year old, but... I really, truly believe that's the best way to, to market the business is, is be really honest and, you know, and people are going to move away from companies just looking to profiteer and more towards people that genuinely want to make the world a better place and offer a brilliant product that supports craftsmen and supports mm-hmm. techniques and traditions and, 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 and it doesn't damage the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can for sure already see this, you know, flip in the way people are shopping, which is incredible. Um so yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the different changes that will happen after this whole COVID situation is over. Um, but the last question for you. Um, so what are some of the biggest life lessons you've learned through launching and growing your own business, especially at such a young age? Wow. Um, so many, so many. And like, you know, to avoid the cliche, but you, you learn every single day. Being a leader, as you you pointed out from the start, I mean, that has been enormous. It's been such a growing process to to have people rely on you and to have to deliver and inspire and motivate. And, you know, even in times when, my gosh, you know, it can be pretty hairy and you can suddenly lose all confidence in yourself and slightly feel like, you know, this is something very common of female entrepreneurs is this feeling of imposter syndrome. and lead and believe in your vision always and always be positive and that's been something that you know I've had to it's it can be hard sometimes for sure and you learn every day and I think also decision making so I'm a Libra which technically makes me a very bad (laughs) (laughs) apparently um but no regardless of that I, I think I was I often found it quite hard to make decisions. And again, when you're on your own and you start your own business, you you know, you know need to say yes or no now because an opportunity might go. And also learning to hold back and not be like an excitable puppy at every opportunity. You know, we've been very lucky 
to attract some amazing people and to have been able to partner with some amazing people. But a lot of great stuff comes through to us. And, you know, sometimes I just want to say yes to everything and I want to jump on the bandwagon. And, and it's about, you know, having that clearer vision and staying on track on the path that you set yourself and making sure that sometimes you know though it may seem fantastic this idea it might not be the right trajectory for us and and probably taking lots of advice taking criticism you know from mentors where you know you need to learn I've got a lot better at that and I welcome it now whereas you know not everyone can take it and it can sometimes be quite hard I now really value to 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 be criticized in a healthy way or challenged or told to think of things obliquely in a way that, you know, might feel uncomfortable, but is necessary. So, yeah, I think I've, I've, I've never, I feel like I've done an MA in, in, in business. And I think, you know, so many people suggested that I do a business course before I did this or, you know, that I maybe took some time because I was quite young. And, and, and actually, I think for those that want to do it, you know, if you really believe in it yourself enough, you can make it happen and again it's one of those cliches you know anything is possible as long as you believe of course there are limitations and it depends on hundreds of different factors but I think if you've got a good idea and you can see a gap in the market and you truly believe in it and you talk to some people and you get some positive feedback you, you know you don't need a business degree you don't need to be older you don't need more life experience you know we're very lucky that now we live in a world where, you know, you can make it happen and a lot more people are becoming entrepreneurs. And I love that. I love that. And I think there's a space to really welcome more, particularly female founders, um, into this kind of realm of entrepreneurship. And I'm loving the journey. So long may it last. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for answering all of our questions. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about having a vision and just really working towards it because no one is going to execute your vision as good as yourself. So if there's anything about being an entrepreneur, it's that you have to give it everything. It, like it becomes your baby. It becomes your whole life. It's not just a nine to five anymore. And I think that's the biggest thing for people to know because you aren't always going to succeed and you have to be okay with falling down and getting back up because you really believe in it. So I love the concept of your brand. I love the styles. It's so chic. It's classic. It's everything, you know, a woman can be and should be. And yeah, thank you so much for this really interesting conversation. Where can everyone find you on social media and your store? So our store is 93 Lower Sloan Street in Chelsea. And you can find that all on our website, www.thedecklondon.com. And our Instagram is The Deck London. Thank you so much, Daisy. I hope we can get a chance to meet. And I'd, I'd love to well. walk into your store once we're back in yeah, London. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.